The following show contains two grown men vehemently spouting off unpopular opinions about some of your favorite pop culture movies, shows, characters, and franchises, then demonstratively taking a large penalty shit on them. So if you are an easily offended, pearl-clutching, whiny-ass little bitch who cries when people have a different opinion than yours, or if you piss your pants when people trash your beloved area of pop culture, then we suggest you do one of two things. First, grow the fuck up and go fuck yourself. Secondly, this is not the podcast for your candy ass, and you should turn it off now because shit's about to get personal. You've been warned. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to have your asses chafed and your feelings hurt. As do middle-aged white men do what do middle-aged white men do best besides raping and pillaging the world, and that's force people to listen to the unsolicited opinions about some trivial bullshit. So welcome to the Cheeky Bastards Podcast. And now, here are your hosts from America, the notorious Scott Gang. And from England, the cynical Mr. Smith. Heidi fucking ho, you slag John sons of bitches, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Cheeky Bastards Podcast. I'm the notorious Scott K. And reporting once again from the UK. This is Mr. Smith. And we will be your hosts on this monthly quest to go against the societal pop culture norms in an effort to be a pair of sandpaper underwear to all of you out there that are easily offended and soft as a diaper full of freshly made baby shit. If you are a returning listener, we want to welcome you loyal sons of bitches back. If you are a first timer, we want to thank you for giving us a chance. However, you might want to hold on to your asses because shit might get personal. Happy New Year, Mr. Smith, as we are recording two days left in 2022 as we get ready to say fuck off to 2022 and eventually say fuck off to 2023 a year from now as I doubt it'll get better than it's been. However, for me, 2022 was actually a really good year. Some people don't like it. I had the opportunity of starting my brand new podcast that is the Church of Tarantino, made through a year. You and I actually officially met, and now we are in the beginnings of a new podcast that we're doing together. So for me on that side, it has been a pretty good year. So I'm not all that upset with 2022. I'm hoping 2023 will be as productive and as fun as what I've had on my podcasting journey from the past year. How about for you in 2022 and I know a little bit about your Christmas. I don't know how much you want to give about your Christmas, but how was your Christmas season? <laughs> we'll as we that. talk five but, days past it. Yeah, 2022, I it was a great year. Obviously, meeting you um, and you asking me to be part and guest of um, the Church of Tarantino, which has been an absolute blast because I listened to so many movie podcasts over the last few years, and I've always wanted to be part of one, but I could never really figure out, you know, an angle on what I would do, or and I've never done it before, so I was a little bit, I resisted it a bit, but then you sort of invited me onto the Church of Tarantino, and, and that really gave me the bug, you know, to get more and more into movie podcasting. To co-host this with you has been fantastic on top of the Church of Tarantino, so, so really yeah, it's been a movie-filled, podcast-filled year, and I've had a blast, and I'm looking forward to next year. Now, my Christmas has fucking sucked, <laughs> because my dad got COVID, and Christmas... Uh, do you know what? I, even had, I, even had, I haven't even had a drink this Christmas. Whoa. I did, that is, I did, isn't that against the law in England? That's, this is why I'm, I'm in the bunker, yeah? I'm having, a report, <laughs> I'm having a report from the Cheeky Bastards bunker in the UK, because there's fucking helicopters flying around looking for me right now, and they're going to shoot me on sight. Yeah, my dad's got COVID. 
I haven't been able to get drunk. I haven't, this is another thing. I haven't even been able to watch The Muppets Christmas Carol, which is my favourite Christmas movie. Oh. However, I did get to watch it once again, and this is thanks to you. I I sat and watched Die Hard again. Yes. After our last episode, which you brought, you know, because I didn't re-watch Die Hard because I've seen it so many times. Yes. But after we recorded the episode, I thought, you know what? It's Christmas. I'm going to watch Die Hard again. Man, that is the fucking best. By the end of it, I was proclaiming it to be the best movie ever. <laughs> ever. It was, so, so it was such a good movie. I forgot how good it was. You know, we take these things for granted after a yes. while. To so everyone listening, drop what you're doing. You think you know Die Hard. Watch it again because it's a fantastic movie. So, yeah. So the COVID thing has really fucked my Christmas up. Mm. So hope, I'm hoping, you know, he's on, his, he's on the road to recovery. Um, and so, you know, hopefully next year. I was already off to a shaky start, but I think we'll, I think we'll get we'll get some good footing eventually. That'll be another good year. Let's, let's hope so. And to send us off from 2022, oh, myself. Oh, sorry. Oh yes. What, what else you can, got? Can, I'm very, I do apologize. Can I just ask you one thing? You New Year's man. resolutions. Ah yes. <laughs> I'm not a person who usually goes big on New Year's resolutions because. Because <sighs> you're Mr. Fucking Perfect. No, no, because <laughs> half the time it's always like I'm gonna lose weight or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that, and like you start off and then by, by fucking April you've already shit that away and you don't even remember what you've said. Fair enough. My only resolution is going to be. To continue having fun doing podcasting. Like, it is the one shining thing I enjoy. If I do have a resolution, and it's weird to be saying it on this podcast, I am trying to start up a store over on my Church of Tarantino with some of the stuff I've created and come up with now that I've got some footing on that after a year. But really, you know what? How about this? I was invited by Miss Sin Electric out to L.A. to go to the uh, Beverly. So maybe this summer that is going to be the thing I want to do. I may take a trip when school is over out to LA to meet her and any other friends that I have out there and go see a Tarantino film at the New Beverly. That may be the thing I try to do every year. That would be a, that yeah, that would be a dream come true for me too actually to do something like that. Well, the invitation is always open. You fly your fucking British ass over here, bring some sunscreen and we'll make a trip on oh, it. Yeah. Um I am yeah, I think my next resolution is going to be to try to visit more of the people I get to talk to. I'm even thinking of taking flight to England. Again, me. won't be this year or not, I'm hoping, but yeah, so these are kind of the plans. I I would like to meet the people that I get to talk to face to face and actually get a chance to sit down, ball bust, and have fun in person as opposed to across, you know, oh, the great internet. Yeah, 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 I think that'll be it. I'm not going to do anything that's dumb. You know, I want I want my resolution to be something that really I want to work hard to attain, not just lose weight or you know grow my dick 20 more inches. You know, nothing stupid <laughs> like people always do. You know, like something yeah, yeah. that I can actually you know put put a stamp on and say you know that was worth it. Yeah, losing weight's always good and being healthy, but at the same time, you know, life is short as you and I are getting up there in age, and obviously you're father's probably condition has made you think you know you never yeah. know when your chance of getting to see people is over with so if i have an opportunity you know it's money well spent to see some people that i would really like to meet that's mine what is yours well two really one i'm gonna try not to swear as much i've noticed um fuck that <laughs> fuck I've that doing these podcasts yes i've realized how fucking foul-mouthed i am right it's because you're really, passionate I, though i don't trust people who don't swear yeah maybe you got a point but i'm going to try not to swear as much because sometimes i listen to myself <laughs> it's hard enough to listen to yourself talk in the first place but i swear so much that sometimes i'm like steve there's a, there was another way to put that but anyway so that's one and i'm going to stop masturbating on camera while we require while we record well, I'm, no I'm gonna, i've decided to do that more often and that's going to be part of my only fans but that's another story. Um, but no, my second thing is I'm going to stop shitting over um, Marvel movies. Oh, wow. My opinion on them hasn't changed. 
But, you know, life's too short, you know. People like what they like. They're not for me, but they're too much of an easy target, so I'm going to stop shitting on Marvel movies. But that's it. That's my resolutions. All right, we'll see. We'll see if, hopefully, if we're still doing this a year from now, see how we done. We'll see how we do. I will promise you this, folks. My re- Another little side annex to my resolution is I'm going to make sure Steve continues to swear, at least when we record, because yeah. no one wants to hear a boring-ass, properly pronounced podcast. You want to hear some people no, be passionate and say some things, all right? You want passion. Okay, you, you got a valid point. I want passion when I talk to people. All right. So we will now say goodbye to 2022 with a bit of a twist on our recommendations this month. So for our certified gourmet recommendations for January of 2023, Mr. Smith and I are going to tell you our top five movies that we love. It's time time for the Cheeky Bastards monthly movie or show recommendations. We will not spend hours on this. We'll just say them in order. Mr. Smith will go first with his number five for 2022, and I will jump in with mine right after that, and we'll just keep going. Mr. Smith, your number five. Okay, so number five, directed by Ty West, is the film Pearl. That's my number five. And the sequel to X, which goes back in time to explain the lead killer from the X movie. It goes back in time. So it's a character study of her mixed with a groovy kind of vintage gothic-y horror vibe. So yeah, that's my number five. Those two movies I'm waiting to see. I'm, I want to see them back to back. So I'm waiting oh, for them absolutely. both to stream at the same you, time. You, I'm sure I'm sure you'll enjoy them a lot. My number five is a new horror entry from Mr. Jordan Peele. I truly, thoroughly enjoyed Nope. I know he's gotten some shit back and forth from people. I saw it this summer with my son. We loved it. I loved everything about it. I thought it was really... I just feel like he's really dabbling in new areas of horror that aren't just jump scares and stupid. So you may or may not like them, everything he does, but so far he has not steered me wrong i have enjoyed all of his uh his movies to this date that is my number five yeah good choice okay so number four now this is a film i literally saw about a week ago on shudder and it's called a wounded fawn f-a-w-n a wounded fawn by a guy called travis stevens what happened is i've just seen an interview with this travis stevens on youtube and i thought hmm he sounds like a really interesting guy, knows his horror. And then I saw that this this new movie cropped up. And it's basically about um, a guy and a woman who are dating, who just started dating, and they go out to his cabin in the woods. Okay? And, and she do starts, on a first date? <laughs> well, it's not a first date, but they're, they're, they're not overly familiar with each other yet. And she's, But she's trying to dip her toe back into the relationship pool because she's had bad relationships in the past. At this point, have they consummated the relationship yet? Oh, I get the feeling that, yeah. They have. Um, okay. Okay. And on the way to the cabin, her alarm bells start ringing pretty quickly. That there's something about this guy she's decided. <laughs> she's she's a bit on edge about. He's something edgy about him, but she's not sure. See, this is the thing where we're getting too far into it. But she's like, "Is it me?" So this is very much kind of a feminist movie. Is. It's hmm. kind of like, um, yeah, because she's like, "Oh no, let it go. There's nothing wrong with this guy. Maybe it's just me being overly sensitive." 
And it's like, no, maybe you should be overly sensitive. And she learns that she's fucking right to be overly sensitive. Ooh. But ultimately, we get to this cabin and shit goes south pretty much immediately. I won't go into much more of it because I didn't know anything when I went to watch it. So it was just a complete surprise to me. But let's just say it's more along the lines of a serial killer having a mental breakdown and seeing what he sees in his mind. And Ooh. I'll leave it at that. All right. Or that maybe seeing what she sees in her mind. We don't. You don't need to know any more than that. But it's, it's a fantastic look. It's a small film, and you know, for me, that really was like. He seems like a pretty visionary director. You know, I get the feeling he's going to do something big. He's going to get bigger. This guy, Travis Stevens, his name is. So yeah, a wounded one. It's on Shudder now. That's my number four. All right. My number four just recently came out and actually was going to be my certified gourmet recommendation for this month until Steve said, hey, let's do a top five. It is The Menu from Mark Mylod. It ah. stars Ralph Fiennes. I fucking loved it. I don't know if that was an excellent exhale because you liked it or you didn't like it, but I'll find out in a second. I loved it. It is a dark comedy that really goes after the douchebaggery that is the fancy food, the foodie kind of thing. Ralph Fiennes is absolutely fantastic in this fucking movie. There is so much great about it. I don't want to give too much away. Like you said, you have to watch it to really enjoy it. But, oh, my God. There was a moment when I was watching the movie when the climax was about to happen. And I thought, oh, they're going to fucking, they're going to ruin it. They're going to go the safe way. And they didn't. So I was sitting in the theater all excited about this film. And then I thought, oh, they're going to fucking ruin it with some fucking safe geriatric ending. And they didn't. So I highly, highly recommend the menu. Steve, did did you get a chance to see it? Well, no. This is the reason on my the reason for my sigh is yesterday I got to meet up with my nephew who I haven't seen for quite a long time and he was talking about the menu and how much he enjoyed it. Oh, it's really good. It really well, is amazing. It played, it played, listen, check this out, right? It played on the cinema here, and I didn't get to go see it because they played it on a Monday to Thursday at two o'clock in the fucking afternoon oh, only. Fucking ponces. That's what it's like, what, are you deliberately trying to lose money? Yes, yes. Because no one's going to be no one's gonna be free to see. That should be an 8 p.m. If you're only going to show it once a day. Yeah, you show it when people can see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh. no entrepreneur, but um, I believe the way to make money is to make things fucking accessible. You know, may, so maybe I, I will move to it. England really and I'll take, over this, uh, I'll take over this theater. We can run the theater together. It'll be the Cheeky fucking Bastards Theater. Do. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was gutted I really wanted to see it. And my, my nephew was really, you know, enthusiastic about if it. If you get a chance, five, yes, definitely see it. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah, I think a lot of people I like will. it. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. So in my number three, I've got a couple of things that surprised me coming up. And this is the first one. My number three is Bullet Train. <laughs> Guess what? Ding, ding, ding. My number three is Bullet Train. Oh, wow. Amazing. I mean... I, do you know what I hated the trailer? I thought, this is far too broad and wacky for my taste. But then you brought it up on our, one of the first episodes of Cheeky Bastards. Yes, I believe it was the second or first, yeah. Yeah, yeah, first or second. And I thought, that can't be good. I was... Yeah. You but, son of a you bitch. Know, yeah, I was very sceptical. But I went to the cinema one, one afternoon on my day off, and that was that was that just happened to be what was shown. And I thought, well, you liked it, so... I fucking loved it. There's 10 movies going on in that movie. Yes. I found, I found it to be like, and this is not a criticism, I found it to be a mishmash of, say, Guy Ritchie and Robert Rodriguez, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
with, with a little with some with some undertones of uh, Tarantino in there. I would say a sprinkling of Tarantino. Yep. Oh no, though. agreed, agreed. Um, I would say it's because the... it is, it, it, as I said, it's a lot more broad and wacky. That's not something yeah. he would do. But no, but the story structure has a bit of his I feel get, to it. I get, no, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. But I found it to be far more visually and ideas-wise, very Rodriguez, very Guy Ritchie, very yes. frenetic. An amazing film. Uh, oh, blew my so mind. fucking good. Brad Pitt is on top form. Yes, um, he is brilliant the, in the, the film. I mean, the cameos. The, the cast is fantastic. Oh, but yeah, like you say, you, you were really into it, and I was honestly very skeptical. But when I came out of the cinema, I was like, that was fucking amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a great, fun, lighthearted action movie that really pays off. You know, oh, like totally, it could, it could totally. totally could totally bomb because of its zaniness and could totally yeah. miss the mark, but it doesn't. Like it, it knows exactly where and where it shouldn't tread, and it just it was masterful. It was massively done. And who the fuck? How the fuck did they? How the fuck did they pitch that movie? Well, so here's what happened. I think it was in. David. David liked liked. I think is his name. I, his last name is yeah. L E I T C H. It's probably Leached or something like that. He That's recently right. directed. I think before that he did Deadpool two, and that was really good. So I think because of his ability to make Deadpool two so good, again another action comedy. Yeah, I can only assume the Deadpool 2 and the Brad Pitt thing, they just threw money Oh, God, yeah. If you get Brad Pitt to sign on and you've got that, you're in. Yeah. But absolutely, yeah, so that, that's my number three, and that's also, yeah. Yeah. Also your oh, God, three, it was so. so fucking good. So good. You know what? I was, I was sitting here, I was like, I wonder if we're going to meet up on any of these, and we did. Let's see if we keep going. Yeah, see if uh, we have others. Okay, so my number two is a movie I previously brought up on uh, Cheeky Bastards, and that is The Greatest Beer Run Ever, okay? Yes, you did last, last month, actually. Some films, you know, a film called the greatest beer run ever that stars Zach Efron <laughs> is about as far removed from me as you can get. One of his films may be on my other list. So it's kind of like one of those things where I, I was I expected a hangover type movie with Zach Efron and his wacky pals and their adventures getting drunk. So I was like, I have no fucking interest in this at all. Uh, just a fantastic movie, and as you pointed out, um, based on a true story about a naive kind of um, guy who goes over, who literally just goes over to Vietnam to hand out some beers to his buddies because he's proud of them fighting for their freedom. But obviously, like I said, you know, the whole the protester thing is happening and that's got his back up because his friends are over there risking their lives. But that's when he gets over there and he meets up with um, Russell Crowe's photojournalist. He starts to see that the protesters kind of have a point too. So he's got that inner conflict and that really, that kind of resonated with me and turned it into something a bit deeper than I thought I was getting. And so it totally surprised me. And like I say, there's some, there's some great moments. Zach Efron's puts in a fantastic fantastic performance he's one of them actors who i've never took much notice of, i've never took very seriously but he's he's a, you know he's a grown-up now a bit like leonardo i'm not putting him on the same level as leonardo dicaprio but what i'm saying is he's yeah he's trying to have that renaissance where leo and both brad pitt you know they escape that younger heartthrob role and then they become serious actors that we yeah. don't just see as you know being exactly. good looking so i saw i saw zach efron in this and then i watched the film extremely wicked vile shocking and evil the brad the ted bundy movie he was in yes and i thought actually this guy's got the chops he's just making really bad choices at the earlier on maybe he needs a tarantino glam up uh, maybe hopefully but like i say honestly i can i can understand anyone's skepticism at the greatest beer on ever but give it a chance that's my um that is my number two what's yours well my number two was supposed to come out in 2020 COVID hit, and then it got pushed to the summer of 2021. Then it got pushed to Christmas time of 2021, and it finally came out in 2022. And it is the highest-grossing film of this year, 
and maybe the highest grossing sequel of all time, and it blew me the fuck away, and it is Top Gun Maverick from Joseph Kaczynski, starring the amazing Tom Cruise in a film that is better than the original. It makes Top Gun the original look like shit. Top Gun Maverick is fucking sensational. I am blown away. I went to the movie thinking, okay, you know, it looked cool. You know, they did a great job with the trailer. I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to give this a shot because, you know, Tom Cruise in an action movie has never really steered me wrong. He's always good. And I was like, okay, let's see what they've got. Let's see what this is going to be like. And I was not prepared for it to be as good as it was. And I think that's most people's review is no one is prepared for it to be as good as it is. Because if you remember the original, it's funny, schlocky 1980s film. You know, it was fun for its time, but it doesn't really hold up as well. This one was, I mean, Tom Cruise is so good as Maverick, you know, in his older years. And I don't know. I don't know if you got a chance to see it yet, Steve, or not, but. It is absolutely worth every dollar you could pay. I saw it three times in the theater. I got to see it once in the IMAX. It is so spectacular. It was just an amazing film to watch and how they filmed it. And uh, just the acting was great in it. The whole the whole story was fantastic. I absolutely fell in love with Top Gun Maverick. That was my number two from 2022. Okay. So my number one... It's Top Gun Maverick. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Almost synergetic. Yeah, I... Do you know what? I fucking... I, I hate Top Gun, okay? It was either for bozos or 14-year-old girls, <laughs> of which I was neither of back then. I hated the film, and I was super sceptical of this new one, but I came out of the cinema, blew my mind. All the things you said are absolutely right. Just a fantastic cinema experience that we all probably needed, to be fair. Yeah. You know, that's why you go to the cinema. And it brought back the summer blockbuster feel to yeah, it. Yeah, but, but spectacle isn't enough. No, okay? no. You need, you There's need a, you can only have yeah. so many. You can only have so many explosions before that becomes redundant. So, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say any more than that. Top Gun Maverick is my number one film of the year. And uh, no one's more surprised than I am. (laughs) So what's your number one? My number one was the very first movie I recommended on this podcast. And it will always be the movie I recommend. And that is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once by The Daniels. Directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner. It's my second favorite movie of all time. That's how good this movie has become. I absolutely love it. There is just so much heart. So much amazingness. You know, everyone's losing their mind because fucking fuckface does another avatar. And he makes a video game movie. You, sir are a horseshit artist. These guys went out and did some amazing CGI effects by looking it up on YouTube and they didn't know how they were going to accomplish it and they made a movie that is not only visually stunning, has amazing effects in it, but has real fucking heart that you really give a shit about the characters in this movie as opposed to fucking watered down mouth breathing avatars that are going to just keep fucking coming out that have no real depth, have no real any stakes to them. This movie is funny. It's sad. It's heartfelt. It's got so much of everything that you love about movies thrown into one giant movie. It's a visual and sensory overload. I just absolutely love it. And every time I see it, it gets better and better. And that's why everything, everywhere, all at once was in our first, was my very first recommendation and is my number one recommendation from 2022. Wow. And I still haven't seen it. You son of a bitch. Well, I know, because it didn't come over to your neck of the woods in England. Uh, It is out now. I should actually get my hands on it. It probably was playing at two o'clock at your local cinema and you just didn't know. Oh, man. Fucking idiot. That's pissing me off. This is the Certified certified Gourmet. gourmet. It's a good list. We've got some good lists. But now, one of my favorite things to do. I don't know why, but it is fun to take shit on shit. So we're going to take a big shit and give you our pure horse shit. Stay the fuck away from five recommendations from 2022 of the worst films that we saw. (laughs) 
This is some serious horse shit. Horse shit. Horse shit. Horse shit! And this is horse shit! Horse shit! Ah, horse shit! Now, I will preface mine. You will not hear Avatar 2 because I will not go see Avatar 2. I'm not going to give that man any of my money to see some piece of shit crap movie. You, sir, are a horseshit artist. So, you will not have Avatar 2 on my list, unfortunately, but it should be on the list. But, Mr. Smith, what is your fifth most hated film from 2022 that our fans should stay the fuck away from? Okay. Well, this was going to be my um, horseshit pick for the month. So we'll start off with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Another A24 pseudo-intellectual piece of fucking (laughs) horseshit. Okay. (laughs) These guys, they're so scared of making an exploitation movie, aren't they? Yes. You know, just fucking go for it, you pussies. But they're just so fucking up their own arse. Yes. Do you know what? Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I think that's that's who they're aiming their movies at. So you can pretty much, when someone's evangelical about an A24 movie, you just want to back the fuck away before you bury their fucking head into the nearest table. But (laughs) bodies, 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 man. You know when people talk about slasher movies and they say, oh, like the characters were terrible, you just wanted them to die? Yes. Well, this makes fucking Friday the 13th look like Citizen Kane. (laughs) These have got to be the worst characters because they're all gen... Are they like Gen Z or fucking millenn- they're not millennials? They're Gen. Is Gen Z like yeah. what's Gen Z? Like people, yeah, the, they're, they're, they're the assholes. Twenty-year-olds of now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all Gen Z fucking douchebags, and you know they all go to this um, rich kid's house for the weekend, and they start dying and blah 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 blah. And and the fucking twist at the end is just enough to make you want to fucking <laughs> cut your own head off. I mean, I've, I've, seen I've never movie. felt like. Now, is it because of uh, what's his face in it? Well, that's that says something. When Peter Davison isn't the worst thing about a movie. Yeah. You have to admit, without giving away, the twist at the end, as dumb as it is, you're just like, yeah, that seems like something Pete Davidson in real life would have done. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but still, piece of shit. That's my number five. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore ever again. Well, mine is called Clean by Paul Solette. It is co-written by Adrian Brody and stars Adrian oh, Brody. I've seen this one. That was terrible. Yes, I really, really was hoping it was going to be good. You know, I was like, you know what? I like Adrian Brody in a lot of things. I think he's pretty good. He actually lives, he actually has a house near where, you know, where I live in upstate New York. Right. So I've actually seen him at our local mall a couple of times, which is always weird to see a guy. You're like, holy shit. Oh, that's amazing. But, I really wanted this movie to be something, and it is such a retread wannabe. I don't even know. I, I, it's like a cross between like like, like, like Liam you... Neeson movies. And stuff. I, yeah, know. I know. It's, it's, I know it's the same old. It's the same old retread of like I was once a notorious killer, but now I've changed my ways, and now I'm hiding out in the society, and I'm trying to do good, but I just can't escape my past. And luckily, oh, something man. happens that I have to now dip back into my past to help people. I was just like, ah, oh. you know. And, well, yeah, funny and enough, the worst I was thing is. The movie's named after him, and his nickname is Clean, which they don't even fucking ever tell you. Like, I don't know. No, it was... I, I saw this back in January. Yeah, when it came out. See, this is the reason This is the reason I'm quite in a letterbox, because it really allows me to list all the things I watched. So, yeah, I watched this back in February or February. Um, yeah, well, I recently watched a, it on uh, Hulu, and I'd wanted to see it, but never really made the theaters here. So, again, like, I, I was going to give it a shot because I thought, you know what? If he, you know, he's a decent actor, like, I really like him in a lot of things. I'm like, let's let's see what he's got. And it was just yeah. the same old retread. I'm just looking on Letterbox now. I gave it one out of five. So, yeah, it's not good. That was my number five pure horseshit of 2022. 
You're number four. Okay. So I'm gonna. I'm just gonna alert, alert everyone to the, the fact that my top five horseshit movies. They're all horror movies. Oh. Basically, which which hurts me because I'm a massive horror fan. Yes, you are. But my number four is Hellraiser. Oh, the new uh, Hulu version. Oh man, yeah, the TV movie basically where they remove anything nasty or really sadistic and kind of perverted and um, just replace it with banality and kind of I don't know boring characters gore that kind of looks so plasticky that's like they were all carved out of the same material you would use for like an action man or a barbie doll that, that just kind of plasticky vibe to it whereas when i mean if any anyone who knows how fantastic clive barker's original hellraiser is it's because it's just so like in your fucking face it's in your face realistic gore and the perversity was kind of almost, dare I say, relatable. You, you know, the, these yeah. are kind of people who are in some pretty crazy shit. <laughs> but this new one, it, you know, it's, it kind of encapsulates, encapsulates everything's wrong with horror movies right now. And fortunately, that doesn't really sully the, the Hellraiser name because that happened years ago. Because really, you know, Hellraiser 1 and 2, both pretty damn good. After that, dog, they're all dog shit. So... This is just dog shit too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I it's know. Kind of, I know you yeah. didn't. You did. You didn't refresh the franchise. You just made another shitty movie. So fuck <laughs> the Well, my number four is a movie based on a video game that my son really liked, and you know, I was like, you know what? It, I think it came out in February, or whatever. You know, during that time of the year, which like there's not much good coming out, so you know, you go check out some of these films just because you're like, you know, yeah, fuck it. Let's see what you know. It's cold. It's something better to do. Let's see what this has got. My number four is by Ron Fleischer. It's Uncharted. Uh, yeah. With Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Now, Tom Holland's a great young actor. I think he's going to be fine. But Mark Wahlberg is starting to border on becoming a B-list actor very, very fast. His movies from this year have tanked. One of them with, uh, what's his name, Kevin Hart that came on um, Netflix. That's been in the top five worst movies on almost every list you can see. I think it's called Me Time. So I think... Mark Wahlberg is about to find himself in the back pages of uh, movies, and he's not going to be a big draw because he's just not a box office draw anymore. And this movie, uh, I'm sure the video game is better, but it was just... It's a wannabe cross between uh, the Laura Croft movies, the Tomb Raiders, yeah, and Tomb obviously, Raider. of course, Indiana yeah. Jones. And it doesn't succeed in any level. It doesn't succeed at all. I mean, it's not even as good as any of the uh, Nicolas Cage versions when he did uh, National Treasures. The first I thought one. You were gonna say, I thought you were going to say it's not even as good as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know what? Kingdom hey. of the Crystal Skull might might be better than Uncharted. I would have well, to see them back to back. I would give you that. <laughs> I would give you that olive branch to say that Uncharted is not a good movie and doesn't even deserve to have the hat or the whip in it. So I, you know what? You may very well be right that the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a better film. But yeah, it's just it was dog shit. It was pure horse shit. You're number three, sir. Okay, so the film Smile, which is probably one of the weakest ideas for like a, that I can imagine they're going to make it into a franchise. Um, it was so derivative of other horror movies. I don't know if you can remember it follows from a few years back where the, where the kind of demon is almost sexually transmitted. We've got to have sex with someone to get rid of the demon. Yeah, it follows, you. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that film. That was, yeah. a, that was a really good movie. Yes. This feels like they've ripped off most of his ideas from that. Doesn't do them half as well. And I remember there being one scene in this movie where there's like four jump scares in a row. And I just thought, <laughs> this guy just watched loads of horror films and thought, oh, I understand them. And it's just not that fucking simple, is it? <laughs> so I'm not really want to talk about it anymore because I thought it was so fucking derivative, lame, seen it all before, 
kind of middle of the road. It's not even a gore fest or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. at least give us some fucking groove, you know? Yeah. If you're going to make a pretty lame yawn and juice and movie, yeah. at least throw some splatter in there. And they don't even do that. So fuck that. Smile, piece of shit. Well, my number three is a franchise that, since its original director stepped away, it has not done well. It is Jurassic World Dominion, or as I like to call it, Jurassic World Force Awakens, as Colin Trevorrow, I think, I don't know, Trevor, however you say his name, the guy who got fired from the third Star Wars movie before he ever got to make the final one in the sequel, shows why he got fired as he tries to do the J.J. Abrams reboot of Star Wars by bringing back the original cast of Jurassic Park, which you would think would help. You would think it would help. It does not help. It does not make the film better. The only good thing about Jurassic World Dominion is that it brings an end to Jurassic Park it should have stopped after two. It never should have gone past number two, in my opinion. The last four have been absolutely pointless and useless. But however, Jurassic World Dominion is a steaming pile of shit that none of the star power can save. Every time, like you said, like you want people to die from bodies, bodies, bodies. I was rooting so, so vehemently for the dinosaurs to finally kill every motherfucker on the screen. I wanted them to take over. And of course, we always get our mono e mono battle between T-Rex and whatever the new wanted T-Rex is of the movie. It doesn't pay off. It's not a great film. It hasn't been a great film since really Jurassic Park 2. And honestly, Jurassic Park, it could have just ended with just Jurassic Park in my opinion. However, please, please, please do not waste your time on Jurassic World Dominion. Even if you have kids and they want to see it, tell them they'll fuck themselves, watch Jurassic Park, and shut the <laughs> fuck up. It'd be better off watching those dino movies that they made on uh, the animation once they have like 30 of them. Be better off watching those films than Jurassic World Dominion. Mr. Smith, you're number two. You're number two, number two. Number two, yeah. This one, this one hurts because I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and it's... Um, is made by the same guy who made VFW, which is one of my first recommendations. My, one of my first gourmet picks. It's one of the ones Jim that Barthes. was with my bullet train. Those are the two. I looked it up. That's it, yeah. So I think his name Joe Bagos, and he made VFW. And his new movie on Shudder right now, if you want to waste your fucking time, is called Christmas Bloody Christmas, about a robotic Santa that goes on the rampage and kills a bunch of people on Christmas Eve. Now, that sounds like a kick-ass movie to me, <laughs> but it really just drops the ball on it, you know? Because um, it's only a 90-minute movie, and the first half an hour is some of the worst written dialogue I've seen in a movie. It makes, you know what? It makes Rob Zombie look like Shakespeare, you know? It's <laughs> terrible dialogue, and then... Is and there a hat convention dialogue moment in there? No, there, do you know what? If there was, it would be in my top five gourmet picks. <laughs> but yeah, this movie just never really gets going. And and some of the and it's just not nasty or gory enough to make you take notice. Where, like I say, VFW just delivers the fucking goods. It knows what you want and it just gives it to you in spades. So I think you might be a bit of a one hit wonder. You know, um, yeah. so yeah, that's my number two, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas. My number two, I will also briefly just talk about. It too is a wannabe horror retread. It's a Stephen King remake, and it was fucking shit, and it starred Zac Efron. It was Firestarter by Keith Thomas. Uh, 
It did not need to be remade. It goes along the lines of always said, stop remaking shit. Leave it the fuck alone. All right. It was not good. It was terrible. Just didn't have the cast. It just, they tried to, you know, they tried to make her like a superhero. Like it just was awful. It was terrible. You know what? It's in the top five of the worst throughout the, you know, most people who have reviewed it. It was not good. Um, Luckily for Zac Efron, he has, he's number two on on two lists and one is for good. One is for pure horseshit. Stay fucking away. Firestarter. I'm not even going to waste my time. If you've seen the original Firestarter, that's all you need. That's all you need to see. You do not need to ever even check this movie out. The little girl in it, you want her to die. She doesn't have the charm or charisma that, obviously, young um, Drew Barrymore had. Uh, You know, there's just not the villain in it like the original had. It's just nothing compared. There's no comparison to it, and that was from the early 80s. This movie is dog shit. Dog shit. It's what you said. A horse It's a dog shit tonic. That's what that motherfucker is. And now for our number one worst films of 20. 22. Okay, well, I'm going to be brief because I've talked about this movie before. Halloween Ends is the fucking biggest piece <laughs> of shit I saw this year. <clears throat> like I said, we spoke about it before. See, see our December episode. Listen to our December yeah, exactly. episode for more. Exactly, yeah. You know, this is a guy, Dave, is it, was it, well, I can't even remember the director's name anymore. David Gordon Green, is it? Yes, yes, that's it. Fuck that guy. He has no understanding <laughs> of horror movies. And he's now going to, unlike I said on the last episode, he's now going to destroy The Exorcist as well. So... Fuck David Gordon Green. Fuck the Halloween trilogy that we just got over the last four or five years. It's just wasted our fucking time. So fuck that and fuck Halloween. Well, David Gordon Green has become your horseshit artist for our podcast. You, sir, are a horseshit artist. And my number one is my all-time favorite horseshit artist from Mr. Michael. Go fuck yourself, you talentless hack bay. You, sir, are a horseshit artist. Ambulance. I talked about it in the very first episode. It is fucking shit. Garbage. Horseshit. There's nothing anyone can say to me that will change my mind. I sat through that piece of shit and I wanted to gouge my eyes out and then skull fuck Michael Bay for making it. He is a pretentious, talentless, horseshit artist. You, sir, are a horseshit artist. Fuck him and the fucking horseshit horse he rode in on. Fuck that movie. Fuck Michael Bay. Agreed. You, sir, are a horseshit artist. This is this certified horseshit. All right. And now that we've got that on our system, it is time yeah. for two middle-aged white men to skeet-skeet their unpopular opinions all over your brand-new Christmas fits. I don't like this thing, but I like that thing. I like that thing. What the fuck? I like that thing. You know, there are people who exist that like that thing. We will not be silenced, you fucking son of a bitch. I like that thing. I like that thing. But I do like this thing. I don't like that thing. I don't fuck. That thing fucking sucks. I fucking hate that thing. Okay, folks, it's time to clutch your pearls and hold on to your rashes because it's unpopular opinions time. Since we are on the odd numbers again, Mr. Smith, you have the right to kick us off in 2023 with style with your rant for this month. Okay, so much like my ex-girlfriend, this one is going to be fast and loose. <laughs> We're talking about my pet name for is the Whore of Babylon, by the way. But this is really the... What, Right. Well, I is, she also, is she a fan of the show like Harrison Ford and and uh, Russell Crowe? I've got a sneak suspicion, no. <laughs> but I was going to call this segment, What the Hell Happened to the Action Genre? 
But it didn't take me long to come to the conclusion that John Wick happened Ooh. to the action genre. So this is basically John Wick is whack, okay? Now, it's John Wick. John Wack. Now, I think initially we were all a little bit impressed with the the stylistic sort of action sequences that they put together. Yeah, gung fu, I would like to call it. Yeah, all that shit, yeah. I mean, yeah. that was impressive. Yeah. Um, everyone seems to have a hard-on for Keanu Reeves. He's great when he can play a role where he doesn't have to emote much emotion. Yeah. I mean, let's all face it, the scariest part of Bram Stoker's Dracula is Keanu Reeves' that British accent. So, <laughs> so really, I think, although we were initially impressed, there's nowhere to go with it, okay? And... It's, in, it's even initially announced in the first John Wick movie that he's the boogeyman and the best assassin who ever lived. Therefore, it's just dramatically bankrupt because, you know, he, he enters a room with 50 people in it. He's going <laughs> to kill them all. Yeah. And then at the end, we're supposed to be excited when he has to fight one guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just ultimately bullshit. Well, it's, it's, it's the video game trope of you fight a bunch yeah, of guys and then you get the absolutely. big boss at the yeah, end. You get yeah. the end boss, yeah. But, you, you know, but by that point, I get, again, dramatic bankruptcy because he's going to win and you know it. Now, what I was going to say was that um, when I think back, I've been watching a lot of action movies lately, including the, I've recently rewatched the five Daniel Craig Bond movies. Ooh. Then I went, then I kind of went back and I was watching um, some of the 80s stuff, you know. And it's hard to word this, but what I'm trying to say is that there was at least an element of danger, right? You always kind of know the hero's going to get out of it. That's the whole yeah. point. But, the, but there is always that question of how they're going to get out of it. Whereas with things like John, where is this John Wick stuff? There's just no question. There's never a moment where he's in trouble. And even something like which isn't even strictly 100% an action movie, but I don't know how much you love Beverly Hills Cop, but I absolutely love Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, it's a great movie. Great okay, movie. now, I don't know if you can remember, but towards the end, when Axel Foley finds the coffee grounds and the cocaine, <laughs> there's like, the music becomes very fucking sinister. And he's in trouble because the henchmen bust in and grab him and his friend, the girlfriend. And you do think, oh, fuck, he's in trouble. And that's what's missing yeah. from films yeah. now. And even, like, think of Lethal Weapon, right? Yeah. When Martin Riggs is hung up by the Chinese guy and he's getting electrocuted, yeah. you are thinking, oh, fuck, he's in trouble. I don't know how he's going to get out of this because he's not fucking Superman. Even something as derivative and slapdash as Tango and Cash. When <laughs> Sylvester Stallone... And Kurt Russell are both hung up in the basement or the, yeah, whatever it is, of that fucking prison. And they're being electrocuted. You, are, you could possibly be thinking, you know what? One of these might not make it. And that, and the rest of the movie could be Kurt Russell avenging Stallone or vice versa. You yeah. at least had that possibility. And I think what the problem is, I said earlier that I wasn't going to talk shit about Marvel movies anymore. And this isn't me talking shit about Marvel movies. This is me talking shit about the people who make action movies, right? Mm. I think these directors today are trying to compete with Marvel movies, but make but they're making action movies. So they're trying to make these action movies so fantastical that they lose that natural element of danger that you used to get. So, you know, like with the Fast and the Furious and the John Wicks and all this. Yeah. Now, they're not total idiots because the same guy made these John Wick movies. You know, they're the guys behind Bullet Train, aren't they, I think? Well, they're partly yeah, yeah, no, part of that crew. And the, and the film with uh, Bob Odenkirk, uh, Nobody, yeah, which, which is, is fucking which great too. Good, yeah. So they are capable of, of realising their own ridiculousness. And they can pull out some, they can pull out the bag something like Bullet Train or Nobody. 
But it's just my feeling that they're being overtaken by films like John Wick, Fast and the Furious, these films that become so ridiculous, but they want their cake and eat it too because they want us to think they're kind of hardcore and they want us to take them seriously. But they're so silly. Um, and even watching, the, like I said, I've been watching all the James Bond movies, the, the Daniel Craig ones. And obviously it's James Bond, he's going to win. Yeah. Well, until the last yeah. one. Well, I think in the James Bond ones, though, to give it a little bit of credence is... It's one of the few James Bonds where actually, you know, you really think that Daniel Craig's James Bond may not win all the time. He goes through a lot of shit that, you know, even Connery's Bond and the Bonds before him didn't really go through. They weren't really tough guys. They were more suave rapists yeah. than they no, were the, the, the tough guy, you know, the the hammer, you know. They were more yeah. of the, oh, you know, we'll do this in yeah. more of talking fashions or some special gadgets where Daniel Craig is pretty much the gadget. Yeah, and he's brought some... Real humanity to it, and he changed the game as far as Bond movies go. Agreed. And he's changed them for the, and he's changed them for good and for the future, wherever they're going to go now. But yes, there's is a very flawed character, the Craig Bond. And like I say, all these action movies of today, when I watch them compared to like the old, the older style stuff, we've just lost the element of danger, the kind of flawedness of any character, you know. They're just too good. It's all flashy, all for show. It's all flash, and it's and it's and it's just too good. You know, I kind of fear the death of the traditional action movie. I guess you could be like, yeah, well, that's just what you grew up watching. They're different now, and you're like, yeah, but they're dramatically, morally, kind of like I say, redundant. Yeah. It's just what what do you think about? You know, when you watch it, when you want it, when you want to watch a new action movie, you know, what are you hoping to see? Are you hoping to see? action sequences that compete with Thor or Iron Man? Or do you want some grit? And do you want some danger? And do you want some, holy shit, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? I don't know. Is he going to get out of this? Is that gone now? And just replaced with the safety of, oh, well, he's just the... He's just the toughest guy in the world, apparently, you know, because that just removes any form of danger from it. So what do you think? Well, you and I discussed this when you were on my Church of Tarantino podcast when we did Kill Bill Volume 1. We both knew that the bride was going to defeat her way to Bill. But in the House of Blue Leaves, we did not know how she was going to succeed. There were so many obstacles in front of her. And yes, it definitely played on the video game trope for sure. And obviously, Oren Ishii was the top boss of that level. But the stuff the bride had to go through and just the way her character was developed is she got injured badly. She wasn't just, you know, like getting shot and just like shaking it off and keep going, you know, moving forward. Like, you know, like you would in a video game where like, you know, being injured doesn't really stop you. You just keep moving forward until you're killed and then respawn. When the bride had to cut through the 88, you know, first off, she gets Oren to come out. She comes down. She fights off her henchmen. She almost gets killed by Gogo. And you think, all right, now she's going to fight Oren. Nope. 88 more people. Well, you know, show up. She's got to fight her way through all of them. And she gets fucked up quite a bit through them. Then she's got to take her her tired ass out and fight Oren. And there's real weight to all of it. And now while obviously it's at the end of that movie, we know there's another movie come up. We know she's going to beat Oren. It was that how? It was that what did she have to go through to get there? You know, there was a lot of shit she had to go through in that moment. And while the violence was stylized, the action, it also had a purpose. It wasn't just John Woo doing cool things. It was, you know, like the bride took pauses. Like she wasn't just able to keep going. She had to pause a couple of times, you know, to be able to prepare herself to keep going forward with the attack. She had real, you know, emotions to it. She was tired. She was beaten. There was physicality to it. 
And you had real weight to some of these moments where, like you're saying, like a lot of it nowadays is just like, okay, it's like I'm playing a video game. I've got to get through these 12 henchmen. I'm going to do it really cool. I'm going to go to this ball. You know, I'm going to work my way up until I'm at the end. And there isn't a sense of, oh shit, how are they going to do this anymore? Even in Die Hard, which we talked about, yeah. John McClane, we weren't 100% sure he was going to survive. You know, like maybe back in the 80s, we knew he would, but man, he too went through a lot of shit, especially, you know, when they finally sneak up on him and then Carl and, uh, Oh, what's his name there? They shoot out the glass and like he's trapped. Like you think he's fucked, yeah. you know, and he's but to he run doesn't glass. do it alone, does he? No, he doesn't do it all alone. He has and how. he's brutally beaten down to his feet are bloody. He's cut like he's in a fucking shambles by the time he finally finishes off the movie. You know, he's taking an ass whipping. Same thing with um, the movies like um, Lethal Weapon. Mel Gibson's character takes a fucking ass whipping in some of these films to finally get to the end. You know, exactly. Yeah, I guess the action hero himself is it's now it's, instead of us having a personality for the action hero. The action hero is just this very straight-faced, no emotion, just killer. You know, they're just they're just a fucking killer, which I think is why you and I both enjoyed Nobody because it was played by Bob Odenkirk, who's a phenomenal actor, exactly. and he's yeah. from comedic uh, roots. That, sorry, that Nobody was just incredibly good. That film. Yes, because Bob Odenkirk was funny in it, and I don't hate Keanu he Reeves. He fucking sold it as well. He he sold that fire. Yeah, stuff. oh, absolutely. And I love Keanu Reeves and stuff he's done. He's been great in some of his movies. But again, him just straightforward, nothing, you know, nonsense killer. Like we get it, you're the worst, you're the biggest killer in the world. Why does everyone keep coming after you then. It's like clean what we talked about. He's that killer who has decided to step out of the life and then he's brought back because of a tragedy and now all hell breaks loose. You know, it's just like after one, yeah. because he killed, the dog was killed, we all were like, okay, all right, you fucked up now. You poked the bear and we're all cool with it. After one, there wasn't another need for John Wick. And speaking of John Wick and the dog situation, to end this, you know, there every cloud has a silver line. <laughs> so to end on, end on this point, um, I want to I want to recommend a movie to everyone. Oh, which is kind of like a a bargain, almost like a bargain basement. John Wick. Um, John Wick came out in 2014, and um, in 2016, Ty West, you know the director of X and Pearl, yes, made a little movie called In a Valley of Violence with um, Ethan Hawke and John Travolta. Now, plot wise, it follows John Wick almost, you know, to the letter. And, and go and buy the, the difference in the times they were released. It was obviously influenced by John Wick, I would imagine. It's basically a spaghetti western. Mm, your favorites. Absolutely. I mean, it is set in the Wild West as well. You know, it's not like a modern spaghetti western. This is like, it even has a spaghetti western theme song. And it even has that animated title credit sequence at the beginning. Much like, you know, Fistful of Dollars, etc. And it's basically a stranger comes into town. The locals don't like him. He tries to keep himself to himself. They start picking on him. He retaliates. They go after him and his dog. Shit goes down that causes him to take revenge on these guys. So it's basically, it basically is John Wick, but it's just they've removed all the bells and whistles, you know? Yeah, there's not a bunch of gun foo. Yeah, and it, it, it's just, a, and, and because of it, it's just a far more satisfying movie, you know, because you do you get genuine character. You're, you feel the danger and you wonder if even Hawk's going to, you've got an inkling that he's going to win, but you don't know how he's going to win. And is he going to die? Do you know what I mean? Like he yes. might win, but still die. You've got that. Which you aren't getting from these John Wick type movies. No, you know he's going to make it to the next one. Yeah, whereas with this one, you're like, well, he might win, but he still might, you know, he could just end with him bleeding out on the floor, but although he killed everyone. Yeah. You don't know. So if you want to watch a John Wick kind of action movie without all the silly bullshit, that's far more stylish, actually, and satisfying and quirky and original, in a valley of violence directed by Ty West in 2016, 
it's just something I'd like to point people in the direction of. And that is my spiel on the action movie. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I can't really, I really can't debate you because I too agree. The only thing I would say is because of things like Bullet Train and the Deadpool movies, we are moving more towards a, or maybe back towards, like you said, um, with Beverly Hills Cop and stuff, is we're having more of the comedic action films. Those seem to be taking over. So there may be some hope on the horizon that those are the movies well, that I would hopefully that. overtake the boring one man yeah. and only one yeah. man. You know, I, I'm I tired settle. of those retreads. Yeah, well pointed out, and I would settle for that. I hope that's the way to go. Yeah, if we but get anyway. more nobodies, more um, more of that stuff, I would yeah. I'm in for because I enjoy those. And yeah. I saw um, uh, Violent Night recently over Christmas break, and I enjoyed the hell out of that movie as well. Well, I bet you that was better than Christmas Bloody Christmas. I'm sure it was, yes. So... There is hope out there, us old school action fans, our surly old school action fans who who just want our fucking action hero to be someone that we can see ourselves as and we can relate to and not just being this cold-blooded killer who is basically a Terminator without it even being cool as a Terminator. So I guess that's kind of what my partner in crime is saying. Absolutely. Now, I'm not Absolutely. sure if he's going to side with me because he does not know what I'm about to talk about. So... My rant this month is not only are Tim Burton's Batman movies better than Christopher Nolan's, but Michael Keaton is the best Batman. Now, I would like to preface this by saying two things. One, I do not believe Batman is a superhero by any stretch of the imagination. He has no powers, so you cannot put super in front of hero. He could not beat Superman if Superman had no arms or legs. That getting out of the way, the reason I enjoy this version of Batman is because I don't think Batman in Burton's films is trying to be a hero. That also being said, I will preface this rant by also saying that the three Nolan Batmans, of them, I think The Dark Knight is the best of the bunch and a damn fine, if not, one of the top five sequels of all time. But before you start jizzing in your boy wonder tights, the reason I consider it one of the top five sequels of all time is because its predecessor wasn't a very good movie. So it was very easy for it to shine brightly above the uninspired retelling of Batman's origin story in Batman Begins. And if we're all honest with ourselves, what makes The Dark Knight so damn watchable is the performance of Heath Ledger as the Joker. When he's not on screen, we as the audience are just passing time until his next appearance. In my opinion, this was the original Joker standalone movie. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get right down fucking to it. I'll start my rant as to why Tim Burton's Batman movies are superior to Christopher Nolan's with small points and then build so I don't collapse the shallow minds of you Nolan boy wonder tight sniffers. First of all, the Burton Batmobile is not only the coolest looking of them all, but it is iconic. Not sure what the fuck Humvee hybrid abomination Christian Bale's Batman was driving, but it certainly wasn't the fucking Batmobile. That's for goddamn sure. Burton's Batmobile was a sleek, sexy, powerful design that totally fit in the gothic world of his Batman stories and was as powerful and cool looking as the Batman who drove it. This design also helped inspire the design we'd see later in the Batman animated series. No child has ever wished for Nolan's clunky military tech Batmobile, and no fucking Batman groupie is dying to ride alongside the Cape Crusader in Nolan's Tonka truck piece of shit. Matt Reeves even realized the coolness of Burton's Batmobile and used the cool muscle car for his installment of the character with 2022's The Batman. Now, Danny Elfman's Batman theme is one of the most iconic theme songs in the history of film. It is the Batman theme song. That's all I need to say about that. It's not up for discussion. It was settled back on June 23rd, 1989 when the first notes of it played on the film's opening day. Case fucking closed. 
Oh, and Prince's Batman soundtrack is a thing of fucking brilliance that has few equals. It harkens back to a time when famous artists were hired to create the soundtrack for films. Not since Curtis Mayfield's Superfly soundtrack has an artist and a film been so perfectly married together. Not a single person listening to my voice right now can even think of a song or hum the theme of Nolan's Batman films. Next up, Burton's Gotham is the best designed Gotham of all the Batman films. The gothic feel of Burton's Gotham totally fits the aesthetic of the Dark Knight version of Batman. Burton's Gotham is a character unto itself. You can feel it breathing with its steam-filled alleyways and streets and tall, pointy buildings that have menacing gargoyles peering down at the citizens. The architecture of the city gives a gloomy, dangerous vibe that not only helps enhance the dark mood of the film, but makes us fear for its citizens' safety. Nolan's Gotham is just Pittsburgh dressed up to be Gotham. While Pittsburgh is a lovely city unto itself, nothing about it in Nolan's film gives us a sense of dread or leaves an impression on us. Once again, Burton's design helped inspire not only the Gotham we get in the anime series, but it also was the look of the aforementioned new installment, The Batman. Now get ready to clutch your cowls. But Burton's villains are superior as well. Yes, I love Ledger's interpretation as the Joker. But he is the only decent villain in Nolan's films. The rest are uninspired, empty shells of the villains they're supposed to be representing. Burton's villains are cartoonish, fiendish, and deliciously evil and fit in the world of his Batman films. Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and Michelle Pfeiffer as the fucking Catwoman. These three performances are nuanced, scene-stealing, and iconic. They are the bar to which all others who try to play them must attain. It is why the entire DC fandom and movie world alike groaned and pissed themselves when they heard Ledger was playing the Joker. Not because Heath was a bum of an actor, but because how was anyone supposed to top Nicholson's version of the Joker? It's also why Ledger gave his Academy Award-winning performance in the role, because the only way to top Nicholson was to put on the performance of his sadly short film career. Now, Colin Farrell was decent as the Penguin in The Batman, but nowhere close to Danny DeVito's brilliance in the role. And no one has even come close to capturing Catwoman the way Michelle Pfeiffer did in Batman Returns. With her sultry, sexually charged, deviant performance, Burton's villains aren't just in the film to be dispatched by our hero. They command the scenes they're in, they force Batman to rise to the challenge of their threat to Gotham, and they leave a mark on the films they are in that echo throughout the Batman universe. Burton's villains feel like they've stepped off the pages of the comics and walked onto the silver screen. Nolan's are just famous actors, minus Ledger, in costumes. Burton's Batman totally nails its origin story. A young boy experiencing trauma at a very young age as he watches the brutal murder of his parents. The psychological damage from that is unimaginable. And instead of us watching how Bruce Wayne becomes the vigilante in a bat suit that strikes fear in the heart of Gotham's underbelly, we are thrown right into it. Burton's Batman is dark as fuck. He's a psychopath out to quench his thirst for vengeance. Burton's Batman is the best version of the Dark Knight in my opinion. He doesn't hide behind some bullshit no-killing code. He embraces his vigilante persona and revels in dispatching the violent murder thugs who plague his city. Burton's Batman isn't trying to be a superhero. Not at all. He's trying to get revenge for his parents' death and for the citizens of Gotham who have been wronged by its criminal element. The only way you kill a wolf is with a more menacing, vicious wolf. Burton's Batman isn't some pretentious, rich fuck who can't cope with loss. His Batman is using his wealth to protect the citizens of Gotham by eliminating the violent underbelly that plagues it while getting bloody satisfaction doing it. And lastly, and this should really blow some minds, Michael Keaton is the best Batman hands down. It's not even fucking close. For starters, he doesn't affect some raspy throat voice that sounds like he has throat cancer or some electronic device that changes his voice. He's not some shy, recluse, bratty billionaire. He is rich, confident playboy type. He's brilliant and deadly. Keaton gives a commanding performance as Bruce Wayne and especially as Batman. 
Robert Pattinson is the only other actor to play the role with the kind of dark edge Keaton brought to the cape and cowl. While Christian Bale is one of the finest actors of our time, he can't hold a candle to Keaton in this role. Keaton brings a real danger to the role. It's possible his psychological break has made him a psychotic and dangerous as the villains he's chasing. Keaton plays Wayne as a silent yet confident type, which he demonstrates when Vicky Vale stumbles into his antique armor collection and he proudly exclaims to her, he's the rich asshole who bought those artifacts. When Keaton starts his journey, he isn't the murderous vigilante we see him become in Batman Returns. When he drops the Joker off the Gotham Cathedral at the end of Batman and he falls to his death, this seems to unlock a thirst for bloody vengeance that he totally leans into at the start and end of Batman Returns. Bale never evokes more than a few guttural screams. Even after the Joker blows up his beloved in The Dark Knight, he becomes a somber, moody little bitch in The Dark Knight Rises. Keaton never strays away or sulks. He doesn't pretend he's something he's not. Keaton as Batman embraces the role and elevates it. Keaton is the standard bearer for it. It is why no one talks about Bale as Batman except to mock his voice, or why people lost their goddamn minds when Ben Affleck was announced to play him. Like I said, the only actor to come close to capturing Keaton's mastery of it is Robert Pattinson. There's only one Batman, and that's Michael Keaton. And there's only one great Batman saga, and that's Tim Burton's. They are and will always be the bar to which all entries that have followed and will follow are measured by. And when you're the measuring stick, you're the fucking best there is. I rest my case. All right, so I agree with everything you said, but I don't like the Keaton Batmans either. That's if fair. I had to choose, <laughs> That's fair. what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if I had to choose, they would be my choice. You're just saying you don't like Batman movies. As a that's whole. All. Oh, that's that's Fuck. perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I'm not a huge fan, but if I had to pick them, it is Michael Keaton because, like I said, I don't see I, him I as a hero. Yeah. I see him yeah, as I, a very anti-hero vigilante who is killing off the villains. He doesn't even know. Yeah. We don't bring uh, Superman yeah, I, into yeah, it. None of that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do totally agree with you. Um, I love Christopher Nolan because I think he's the closest writer. This will probably piss people off and probably you as well. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan. I think he's one of the closest things we've got to a Stanley Kubrick right now. He's no Kubrick, but he's the closest we've got. I think Dunkirk is a masterpiece. I'm a very, very big fan of Inception. As am I. Unfortunately, they're the only two I like. Really? What about Memento? Yeah. I can take it or leave it. It's not a bad... It's not really his debut, is it? He made one before that. Yes, the following. Yes. But I think he's more missed than hit. But his hits are real, you know. But like you said, you know, I totally agree with you. You know, and the whole Batman isn't a superhero thing, I kind of disagree with. I ultimately agree with you. But when you start bringing fucking some of these villains into it, you it's leaning towards that, whether you like it or not. But, you know, when you start putting Batman in the same films as Superman and shit, look, he's a fucking superhero. <laughs> I know he hasn't got any superpowers. No, 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 no. Fuck that. <laughs> but... Ultimately, I'm not a fan of Batman. I'm not a fan of... We know I'm not a fan of Marvel movies or superheroes and all that. But again, you know, I love The Punisher and I love Blade. So there's exceptions always. You can't be so fucking strict with it. But definitely, I mean, Tim Burton, what Tim Burton did when he took Batman on, no one else could have done that. No. Would have come, no one else would have come close to the stylish kind of phenomenon that he gave us. Ultimately... If I had to choose, I would definitely, you know, I would definitely choose Michael Keaton over any other Batman. Robert Pattinson did a fantastic job with his interpretation, but I thought the film was a fucking damp squid, the, the latest one. <laughs> did you say damp squid? Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe that's a British, maybe that's a British phrase. I don't oh, know. it absolutely is, but it was fantastic. Yeah, but um, 
I remember going to see the new Batman with a friend of mine, and at one point in the film, he looked over to me, and I thought, if he says I can't handle this shit, let's get the fuck out of here, I would have left. But he didn't, so I had to stick around and watch it, and he fucking hated it as much as I did as it turned out. But I digress. For me, absolutely, if I had to watch, there's only one with Robert Pattinson in. So if I had to, if I had to choose between Chris Nolan's trilogy and Burton's, did he do two? He only did two, yes. He did Batman yeah. and Batman Returns. Right, well, in this case, less is more. So I would definitely choose Tim Burton's over Chris Nolan's. Well, for those of you who are not on either of our sides, please reach out to us as this month we did not get any mail, which is a little disappointing, but we have an email. It is in the show notes. Please, if you disagree or would like to tell us to go fuck ourselves, please reach out to our email address that can be found in our show notes. With that out of the way, it is time to induct some more films into our top 100 films of all time. The Cheeky Bastards. Top 100 films of all time. Mr. Smith, what is your first induction of 2023? Okay, so my first choice happens to be in my top 10 films of all time. Oh. Very important film to me. It is John Landis's American Wealth in London from 1981. I think this trumps Shaun of the Dead in the comedy horror stakes because I feel like Shaun of the Dead is a comedy with horror elements. Agreed. I would agree 100%. I think American Wealth in London is a horror movie with comedy elements. I just think it's a masterpiece. When you look at the career of John Landis, he's made some amazing films. You know, Animal House, The Blues Brothers, Trading Places, American Wealth in London, Coming to America, Free Amigos. To me, American Wealth in London is just such a unique movie made by a director. You really knew what you wanted at that time. All right, my first is from 2003, and it is the South Korean film Old Boy. After being kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years, Oh Daisu is released, only to find that he must find his captor in five days. Now, for me, this is one of the ballsiest stories ever told. I think it easily has the most deprived twist ever in cinematic history. The realistic, brutal violence reached through the screen and grabs you by the fucking throat. We quickly learn that our hero is less of an anti-hero and actually a real piece of shit that may just have deserved not only his imprisonment, but also the climax to this no-holds-barred film. The performances are top-notch, the cinematography is brilliant, and the set pieces are mesmerizing. This film fucked me up the first time I saw it and has echoed in me every day since. Now, it is one of my top five films of all time as well. I absolutely can't say enough about how amazing Old Boy is, from its hammer fight sequence to just the fucking balls to tell the story it tells about a man who is basically drunk, does something to another man that causes him traumatic stress that he then imprisons him for 15 years to basically give him his comeuppance in a way that you never saw coming and haven't seen since. I always said when I first saw this movie that we could never redo this movie here in America. We didn't have the balls. And so Spike Lee went out and proved me correct. The ending in Spike Lee's version of it is not nearly as good. It doesn't have the weight, the depth. It just doesn't work. Old Boy is the movie to watch, not the remake here in America. Watch only the South Korean version, and you're going to have to buy it online. It's not it's not streaming anywhere, unfortunately. That seems to be a thing with Asian cinema. We need a good streaming service here, at least in the States, so we can see some great Asian cinema. We just don't get it. We have to go find it at you know boutiques and stuff. So, But that is why I have now put Old Boy into our top 100 films of all time, as it is in my top five of all time as well. 
Mr. Smith, your second induction. Well, firstly, I'm now going to have to find another film because Old Boy would have been one of my choices, further down the line. But my second choice from 1971, directed by Mr. Mike Hodges, is Get Carter, starring Michael Caine. Not the one with Sly? No, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that one. The difference is paramount. You know, it's huge. Um, but Get Carter is a, you know, it's a classic British gangster movie without the kind of, I don't know, goofiness of the, you know, the, the Guy Ritchie stuff. I know what you mean. Look, with the Guy Ritchie stuff, you're clearly watching a middle-class kid who thinks gangsters are cool. Yeah. But I've yeah, got no... He's never had it. He's never dipped his toe in that world for real. He's a toff, you know? <laughs> he's a bit of a ponce. I, I like some of his movies, but Get Carter is like the real gritty deal, yeah? Michael Caine plays Jack Carter, who's... He's like a London gangster, basically, and his brother has died, who, and he was working up in Newcastle, which is a real, like, working-class, grim area of England. Uh, Michael Caine goes up to Newcastle just to kind of snoop around out ultimately and find out what's been going on. Realises that his brother was killed, was murdered, basically, and his niece has been put into, like, some porn movies when she was a kid. And he decides, you know what? Fuck these guys. I'm going to kill everyone. And from there on, we just get this amazing revenge movie. So it goes from what you think is a gangster movie to just a gritty revenge movie. Really, It's really one of the greatest British movies ever made and can really sit pretty proudly among films like, you know, Roland Thunder, etc. And if you haven't seen it, and because of listening to this podcast, you're now going to go watch it. When Michael Caine is on a train at the beginning of the film, keep your eyes peeled because there's a Good hint of what's to come in the movie, hidden in there somewhere. So there you go. That's my second choice this month. All right. I will wrap it up with my final induction of the beginning of 2023. And that is Antoine Fuqua's 2009 cop drama, Brooklyn's Finest. Three unconnected Brooklyn cops wind up at the same deadly location after enduring vastly different careers. This is a modern-day masterpiece with Shakespearean overtones. It's the pulp fiction of cop films in that it follows three leads in Don Cheadle as an undercover cop, Ethan Hawke as a crooked member of a narcotics unit, and Richard Gere as a down-on-his-look beat cop. In my opinion, this is the best cop drama ever made. If Scorsese made a cop drama, this would be the one he made. The tension and suspense in this film are intense. The performances are top-notch, and the storytelling was worthy of an Oscar, which it did not get nominated for. I absolutely fucking love this film. This blew me away. This is such an underappreciated, underrated cop drama. The storytelling from Anton Fuqua is amazing. Now, for those who don't know who Anton Fuqua is, he rose to fame with his training day and partially on the heels of Mr. Denzel Washington's performance, but he brings back Mr. Ethan Hawke, and it's funny because Ethan Hawke's character in this film is basically the Denzel Washington almost flip for this film. Just misses the top 10 of my films all time. It's definitely the top 15. When I went to see this, I wasn't sure what I was getting into. I knew Antoine Fuqua was an up-and-coming director. I liked Training Day, but I fucking love Brooklyn's Finest. It's just one of those films that I can't get enough of. It gets better with every viewing. I don't think there's a missed note in the film. The performances are out of this fucking world. It has real weight to the storytelling. It is dark. It is not great for everyone involved, but it has a real feel of like this is what it's like daily in Brooklyn to be working as a cop up in some of the tough neighborhoods that are in Brooklyn. And now it will no longer be overlooked because it is now residing in the top 100 films of all time on the Cheeky Bastards podcast.
that's a wrap on this month's show. Please feel free to join in on the debate by following the show on the show's socials, which can be found in the show's notes. If any of you found any of the opinions expressed in this episode to be offensive, we kindly ask that you go fuck yourself. However, if by some miracle you did enjoy the show, like a well-adjusted, mature fucking adult, then please feel free to join us again next month to hear Scott or Steve take a shit on something you hold dear. So until next time, remember, opinions are like assholes. They're full of shit and stink, unless, of course, they're yours. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.